0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right. Well, that's, with that said, um, let's turn our Bibles in our Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter number nine. Matthew chapter nine in our Bibles this evening, and we're going to begin in verse number thirty-five. There, of Matthew chapter 9. And if we're able to, I would invite you to stand with me as we look at our text this evening, Matthew chapter 9. Again, we're going to begin in verse number 35. The Bible says And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you now for this time that you have blessed us with to spend in your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us tonight. We pray that we would be focused upon you and on you alone. And I do pray that you would Use me tonight, Lord. Uh, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit to preach your word. And Lord, I just pray that you give us a vision and a burden for the lost. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, the Bible has a lot to say about our thought life and how we think and what we think about. In fact, in, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, we're told, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, God wants us to have the mind of Christ. And we ought to have the mind of Christ in every area of our lives. We ought to have the mind of Christ in terms of our Bible reading, our prayer life. We ought to have it in our marriages, how we raise our children, in our church attendance, in our giving of tithes and offerings. We ought to have it in every area of life, um, on the job, at home, in, in the neighborhood, uh, wherever it might be, in whatever area of life it Um, we need to have the mind of Christ. We also need to have the mind of Christ when it comes to the lost. We need to think about the lost as Jesus did. We need to have what I call a multitude mindset as Jesus did. We need to have the mind of Christ when it comes to reaching the multitudes. We need to think about how we think about the lost. It's very important. The Bible has a lot to say about our thought life. In fact, the Bible says, uh, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. And the heart there is our thoughts, how we think, what we think about, what we meditate on, what, what thoughts go through our minds. And so we tonight need to think about how we think about the lost. How do you think about the lost? How do I think about them? That's what we're going to learn about tonight here from this passage. So how, how are we going to go about having this multitude mindset? How are we going to learn to think about the lost? like Jesus did. Because it's not easy um, to think as Jesus did because our sinful flesh wants to get in the way of that. So we need to learn to think as Jesus did, to view the lost as our Lord did. The first thing is, from verse 35, is we need to make sure that we are not too busy for the lost. It's very easy in life to get too busy for the lost. But look at verse 35. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So we read here in verse 35 that Jesus was busy, obviously, in the work of his ministry. He was busy preaching and teaching and healing every sickness and every disease. So he was busy. He was involved in ministry. And if you serve in the ministry in any capacity, uh, you know that can be busy to be in the ministry. Um, you know, Pastor, you know this, it, you know, the ministry is work. And it can be busy. We can't let the busyness of ministry distract us from reaching the lost. We can't push them aside for the sake of the ministry because they are part of the ministry. They are part of what we are doing. Obviously, the ministry uh, involves us serving each other here in the local church. But it also involves us getting out there and reaching people with the gospel. Knocking on doors like we did this afternoon. And if you're not involved in that, let me encourage you to get involved in that ministry. <clears throat> I know your pastor uh, won't mind. <laughs> you know, uh, one thing we were talking about in the, in the car um, as we were driving around knocking doors is that, and one thing I've heard from every, every missionary is, you know, what do you need? What do you need? You ask them, they say laborers. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit later, the issue of laborers. But again, don't be too busy for the lost. We need to make good use of our time. You know, we're all busy. Um, with work or family, school, ministry, whatever it might be, we're all busy. But we need to be a good steward of the time that God has blessed us with. We only have a short time on this earth. We need to be good stewards of our time. In fact, the Bible says, moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. So let us be faithful in stewarding our time and let us make time for the lost. Because if if we're not careful, we can get so busy with ministry with good things, that we tend to push the lost aside. I think, well, I'm serving here. I have all this stuff to do. I just don't have time for the lost. Well, you know, Jesus had time for the lost. In fact, that's why he came. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So he made time. He was busy. You know, he had his disciples who were constantly... You know asking questions and they, and they you know made his ministry very busy and he was healing people and people were coming to him with um, with those that were sick or lame or blind and he was healing them. He was very busy, but he wasn't too busy for the lost and let's make sure that we're not too busy that will help us have a mindset like Jesus did for the multitude so you don't get too busy, but also we need to purposefully and intentionally Look at the lost. We need to do that. Because it can be easy, again, in the busyness of life to kind of ignore the lost. To kind of, you know, think about, well, you know, I'm saved and the people I know are saved and our church is doing well. So, you know, I just, you know, they're going to be kind of in the back of our minds. But in reality, they need to be in the forefront of our minds. We need to look at them like Jesus did. We need to intentionally, on purpose, view them. If you look at verse 36 here, it says, so as he's doing these things, involved in the, in the busyness of the ministry, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, and I believe here that he is intentionally look at, looking at them. It's not just as if they're kind of a passing glance or he sees them off in the, his periphery. He is looking at them on purpose. While he's doing the ministry, while he's in the work of the ministry, he's looking at them with a purpose. And he is looking at them and seeing them for who they are. If you continue on in verse number 36 there, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. So when he saw them, when he intentionally um, fixed his eyes upon them, he was moved with compassion. You now we might look at the lost and be filled, moved with indignation or anger sometimes That we, as we see what the lost do. You know, we see our culture and our country and we see what the lost are doing to it and in it. It, it, it can make us angry, and it can make us um, uh, cynical toward them. But we have to be filled not with cynicism but with compassion because Jesus did. You know, the, And why? Why was he moved with compassion on them? Well, it says because because they, faint, they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. See, Jesus, when he looked upon them, he saw them for who they were. They were sinners who were lost. They had no shepherd he came to be their shepherd and our responsibility is to is to introduce them to our shepherd the good shepherd Jesus Christ is to show them and to tell them that they don't have to stay lost there's someone who came to save them and his name is Jesus Christ and he came to save their lost soul and and we need to view them in their spiritual condition because when we see we see the outward and we see the sin and we see the cursing and we see you know, um, <clears throat> the wickedness that they do and that they are doing uh, in this country. And, and we see that. But what does God see? He sees their soul. And that soul is lost. Every person in this world is in one of two conditions. They're either saved or they're lost. They're either on their way to heaven or on their way to hell. And we have to see them that way. We have to look past the outward and understand what's going on inside what, what, what condition their soul is in, because yeah, they can be rough on the outside, and they can, you know, look bad, and they can act bad, and, and and act sinful, and we might be frustrated by that, and we might be angry by what they're doing, but it's important that we view them with compassion, because you know we have enough cynics in this world. We don't need more cynics. We need more soul winners. We need more people to get out there and to have compassion on the lost, because these people. You know, they're scattered abroad. They have no shepherd. They're, They're sheep. They're just out there and they have no shepherd. They're lost. They have no direction. They have no hope. We have the hope. We have that blessed hope that we learned about this morning. We have that. We have Jesus. We have the gospel. We need to share that with other people. We need to have compassion on the lost. Think about this. What if no one ever had compassion on you and never shared with you the gospel? Where would you be right now? Well, you'd be lost on your way to hell. And we we tend to think of eternity as a distant place, far off, no, far away. But no, eternity is a heartbeat away. Every person is a heartbeat away from eternity. And you and I are a heartbeat away. And you might be here tonight, and you might be in a lost condition. Let me encourage you. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, tonight's the night. This is the night. This is the night God wants you to be saved. You're here tonight, and if you're unsaved, this is, you're here for one reason. Because God wants you to be saved. He wants you to put your faith in him for salvation and get your eternity settled. Because every person here, young or old, no matter your health, no matter um, your age, you're a heartbeat away from eternity. You could just as easily slip off into eternity as you could slip, off, slip, slip out the, the doors. And and go outside. That's how close eternity is. And we tend to think of it as far off, but it's very close. Eternity is right there. And you're either going to heaven, and you're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven, or you're going to hell. Ultimately, the lake of fire, and you're going to spend eternity completely separated from God forever, and there will be no hope. And if you're unsaved tonight, let me encourage you, before you leave, Get that matter taken care of and be saved, because God loves you. He wants to save you. That's as Jesus was looking at these multitudes, he wasn't filled with anger, he wasn't filled with rage. He was filled with compassion. That means that his heart was 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 weeping for them. He he, he was moved. He he his he was stirred by what he saw, and we need to be stirred by what we see. You know. We need to to feel for the lost. We need to understand their condition. And a lot of the reason why more Christians don't care is because they just don't, they choose not to see. They intentionally ignore the lost. And they think, well, you know, I've got my eternity settled. And, you know, I'm comfortable in my Christianity, so, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm good. But they don't take the time to realize, well, you know, we have to share that. We have to get that out there. We have to have compassion on the lost. We have to be moved by what we see. You know, Jeremiah the prophet, we know him as a weeping prophet. He was moved by what he saw. He saw his country, he saw the people that he loved turn completely away from God. And we live in a country very much like what Jeremiah saw in his day. He saw a country that had completely turned away from God and rejected their spiritual heritage. And we have seen that happen in this nation. People have rejected God. They've rejected our spiritual heritage. They've rejected our founding, our founding principles, founded upon biblical principles. And people have rejected that. And the Bible says in Lamentations 3.51, Jeremiah was saying, mine eye hath affecteth mine heart. He was moved by what he saw and moved him to tears. And he allowed that to stir him to preach to those people. He wasn't angry at the people. He was sad by what he saw. And we need to view the lost the same way. We need to intentionally look at them. You know, Jesus told his disciples after preaching the gospel to the woman at the well there in Samaria, a Samaritan woman, he preached the gospel to her. She got saved. And many in that village got saved. And Those disciples, you know, thinking about the physical, Jesus said, lift up your eyes. In John 4.35, he tells them, lift up your eyes. Because the fields are white already to harvest. He said, lift up your eyes. You know, all the problems for Christians is we just haven't lifted up our eyes. We need to lift up and look out there and to see what's going on out there. And when we see it, we need to be moved by it and say, hey, you know, I'm going to do something about that. Because there is something that we can do about what's going on in our country. They don't just have to sit by and say, Well, throw up our hands and say, Well, there's nothing we can do about it. There is something we can do. We can get the gospel out, because that's what's going to change the country. That's what's going to turn things back. Is the gospel going into this country again and churches getting planted, preaching the gospel, seeing people saved, baptized, and discipled. That is the power that's going to change this country. That's what's going to save America. It's not the politicians. It's not the white it's not what goes on in the White House that's going to save America. It's what goes on in God's house. Christians getting out there, being stirred enough, being moved enough to say, I want to do something about it. I want to knock on a door and I want to preach the gospel to somebody. And, and letting what we see really move us and, let, and make, it, make us weep for what we see. I tell when you, as you drive through Southern California and as we're there and we see what's happening, well, I'm so saddened by what I see Seeing more and more homelessness, as you saw in the video there. It's even worse than what what you saw there. It's getting worse day by day. In the city of Los Angeles itself, every freeway underpass, there's an encampment there. And I'm talking about not just a few tents. I'm talking about almost the size of this town. That many homeless in one area with tents all over. And you see the trash, and you see the, the the condition that people are allowed to live in, and, and it makes me very sad. I, I'm I'm I love my state, California. I, you know, I'm I'm from California, um, and I don't say that you know um, sheepishly. I say it, you know, I love my state. I love California. I'm from there. I'm a Californian. That's who I am. That's who we are. And what has happened to it? It saddens me. I'm saddened. Yeah, there are things that make me angry, but in the end, when I see what's happening, I'm saddened. And I think the reason this is happening is because there's not, the, the gospel's not going out like it should. There aren't enough churches to reach California. You, we'll never reach California with the churches that are there now. There just aren't enough. There aren't enough people. There aren't enough laborers. We need more laborers. And that gets into the next point. If you look at verse... So after verse 36... He then uses this to teach his disciples. He he uses this moment. And he says, okay, disciples, I'm going to teach you something now. Verse 37. He says, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. So he's saying "Is look at this harvest out here. There's plenty of people to reach. You know, thousands and thousands and thousands. And in our case, there are tens of thousands of people that we need to reach there in Riverside. Tens of thousands. The area that we're in specifically... Ninety to hundred thousand people, no independent Baptist Church there. No independent Baptist Church. Maybe a few churches, you know, that may, you know are Bible believing gospel preaching churches, but they're not independent Baptists. They don't preach the right Bible. They don't they're not they're you know singing rock and roll music, <laughs> you know. There's no independent Baptist church there, grounded up, upon the foundational truths of the Word of God, teaching all the doctrine of the Bible. There's no church like that in that area. The need is great there. And, and that harvest again is plenteous. There's plenty of lost people. But look what he says here. Jesus identifies here this harvest. There's plenty of people, but it says here, but the laborers are few. There's not enough people. We need more laborers. And if we're going to have a mindset toward the multitude, we need we need to participate in the harvest. We need to be a laborer in that harvest. That word labor, you know, Tells us it's going to take work. It takes work to reach people, to knock on doors, to follow up. Uh, that takes work. It takes a, it's hard work to do that, but it is good work. It's the best work that you can do. Um, there's no work I'd rather do than get out and getting the gospel out there, knocking doors, preaching the gospel to people, seeing people saved. There's nothing greater than seeing a lost person come to Christ. It's it makes it all worth it. If it's just one person, you think, oh well, I'm not seeing anybody saved. Maybe I saw one person get saved a few years ago hey it's worth it that one soul jesus died for that one you know so it's worth it the labor is worth it you know too many of us christians we as christians we don't want to do the work we make excuses i'm too busy i don't have the time uh, i don't you know i'm not smart enough i'm not gifted enough to share the gospel, you know. Well, no, you know, God never gifted us with sharing the gospel. He instructed us. He commanded us to share the gospel. It's not a gift. It's, it's a commandment. We're all commanded to do that. You know, if you think about a large farm. I mean, like, a, you know, hun, several hundreds of acres of a, of a large farm. And you think about that farm. Imagine just a handful of people trying to harvest that, that crop. Never gonna, I mean, it's, it, you're never going to get it done. You need laborers to harvest that crop. Jesus said there was a harvest of men and women, lost people, and it's ready. We just got to have some people go out there and work in that field. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to labor, to work, to be a part of that harvest, to join in, to sign up and say, to be like Isaiah and say, hey, you know, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be called to a foreign country or to plant a church in a different part of America. Maybe it's just right here in northern Idaho, right here in Bonner's Ferry. Just say, hey, I'm going to go knock on doors. I want to get involved in there because there's thousands of people to reach. Thousands of people that still need to be saved. <clears throat> so we all need to be involved in that. So we've got to labor. But then verse 38, the last, this, the last verse of this passage here. He says the laborers are few. And then he gives an instruction here. Really, you can think about this Is if Jesus had one prayer request, it was this. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. We need to be praying. We need to be praying and praying for more laborers to go to different countries, but also here in America to reach these different areas. Pray for laborers for Southern California, for the Northwest, for the South, for the Midwest, for New England anywhere in America, we need to be seeing more churches planted. We need to pray that God would send laborers. But Here's the thing about it. It's not just about praying, Lord, send someone else. We need to pray, Lord, maybe you would have me to go. You know, maybe you know, God's calling you and you need to, you need to respond to that call. Because you know, I know that God will, will reach out and call someone and say, hey, I want you to do this specific work. I want you to go to Mexico I want you to go to Africa, Asia. I want you to go to California or Idaho or wherever it might be. But we need to respond to that call. And we need to be willing to surrender to that call. It says many are called but few are chosen. We need to surrender ourselves to God's calling, to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, okay, I want you to go, we need to say, okay, I'm going to go. We need to do that. I-, I wonder how many there are in our churches who God has called, but they're not willing to go. That's very sad and maybe there's a lot of work that's not getting done because there are too many who are, have been called, but they're not willing to go and we need to be obedient we need to, be, we need to surrender and we need to get in that harvest. The thing is that a harvest takes work. if you're going to plant a crop and harvest it, there's a lot of work involved and' it's not just the, it's not just the planting it's not just the reaping it's also the watering of that and watering with our prayers and, and with our tears and say so as we go out and reach people so then pray for them afterward Lord please please work in that person's heart please work in their life so that they can believe the gospel and pray in tears and that work of prayer is very important you know, sometimes prayer is the hardest work there is in the ministry you know we can read our Bibles and be faithful and we can be faithful knocking doors and faithful serving here at a church and all of that, but sometimes the thing we neglect is to pray, is to take the time to pray, especially pray for the lost, and pray that the people we had a chance to come in contact with, that they would, that God would work in their hearts, and pray, Lord, please, Lord, please save that person, Lord, give me more opportunities to reach that person, or, or this other person. Again, we can't just pray, though, for others to go. If we're going to pray, Lord, send more laborers, we have to be willing to be a laborer. In fact, we're all called to be laborers. You know, some are called to go overseas, to go to a different country. Some are called to go to a different state, a different part of America. Some are called to stay right here, your Jerusalem. This is your Jerusalem here. And some are called to Judea and Samaria and on the uttermost parts of the, of the world. But everyone's called um, to be a laborer in the harvest. And, and you've know you you've probably heard it many times before, I've heard it, that many hands make light work. So if you have enough laborers involved, that does make the work easier. Because it is hard to reach people. It takes a lot of work, no matter where you are. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of laborers, a lot of people. we got to pray for more laborers. <clears throat> it's not that there's not a, enough of a harvest. It's there. The harvest is there already. As Jesus said, The harvest is white. The fields are white, all ready to harvest. They are ready. We just have to have laborers. So we need to be willing to pray and to be a laborer ourselves. This will help us to think about the lost the way Jesus did. You know, Jesus didn't tell his disciples, you know, pray for laborers. Jesus himself wasn't the best example of a laborer. He went where the people were to preach the gospel to them. He didn't just... Tell his disciples, okay, you go off and do this thing and I'm going to stay back here. He, went, he led the way. He led the way in reaching people, you know, one by one. I was telling pastors we were driving around knocking doors, you know, um, technology is great. The Internet and YouTube and social media it's great to get the gospel out that way. But really, in the end, it's really um, person to person. That's how the gospel gets out. And that takes someone to go out there and do it. Because you can not reach a lot of people through YouTube and other other. Uh, Uh, avenues that way. But really, in the end, it's going to be person to person. Um, Think about how you got saved. Chances are there's some individual showing you from the Bible here, here's how to be saved. And that's how it happens. That's how it's been done. Regardless of what changes around us, the gospel is the same and the methods are the same. It's preaching the gospel one-on-one. But without workers, that's not going to get done. You know, one person, God never called one person to reach the whole world. You know we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's been us to do that, not the angels, not any other method. It's us. We who are saved have been called to do that, and we all have to be laborers. We all have to be part, participating in this ministry. And one way you do that is by sending and supporting missionaries. There on your your back wall, there you have those letters, those prayer cards. Now, how can one small church in, in a small area of northern Idaho reach the world? Well, through missionaries, you know, through supporting them, through faith promise, getting, getting, getting that missions money in so that you can then send that out all over the world. I mean, you're reaching the whole world. you know, your church here. You're a small part of northern Idaho reaching the whole world with the gospel. That's exactly how God intended it to work. It's for us to reach not just our own community but all over the world the way we do that is to send and support missionaries and church planners. So again, we need to to, to have compassion on the lost. Because that's what it takes. Because again, we can let the busyness of life kind of interrupt our, our, our kind of um, mess up our thinking about the lost. Or we can kind of say, well, you know, they're lost, they're heathen, they're unsaved, you know, they're sinners, they're wicked. You know, so are we. We're all so wicked and so we're, all, we're all sinful. We're all sinners. Um, and we'd all be lost but for the fact that someone had compassion on us. Compassion enough to tell us. I want to uh, finish. Here. Let's turn to Jude. Jude and we'll look at verse 22 and verse 23. I want to finish here. I want to kind of further develop this idea of compassion, having compassion. So Jude, and look at verse number 22 and verse 23, it says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. God wants us to have compassion and, and have enough compassion to go out and to preach the gospel to see them saved doesn't matter how wicked they are, how mean-spirited they are, how hateful they might be, have compassion. You know, Jesus had compassion on those who crucified him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wanted to see those people saved, even the people who were murdering him. Stephen, the same way. He prayed, yes, he was being stoned. Lord, I pray it would not be laid to their t- to charge. He prayed that they would be saved, that they would be forgiven, they would have a home in heaven, even the people who were stoning him who are executing him. Do we have that kind of compassion to pray for the salvation of those who might hurt us? We need to. We need to pray for those. You know, we've seen it. We've seen our politicians in this country come after the church, the churches, and try to shut them down, especially in our home state of California. They really use COVID to go after the churches, specifically the targeted churches. Specifically, they would let the, the, the marijuana shops stay open they would let the pot shops, the pot dispensary, they're out there selling drugs to people. And they let those stay open. And the liquor stores, they kept those open. But the churches know you've got to close those down. That tells you all you need to know about where their heart was. But we can look at them and say, oh, you know, we can be angry. But you know what? We need to pray for them. Pray that they be saved. I'm praying that Gavin Newsom, our governor, gets saved. What a great thing it would be for him to be saved. You know, I look at people, some of these politicians, and they're very... Um, powerful public speakers, very influential people, what if they get saved and then use um, their intellect and their public speaking to preach the gospel? What a great, powerful thing that would be. We saw that. You see that in the life of Paul. He was a man whom he knew um, religion very well. A very powerful man, a very learned man. And he used his power and his education to persecute the church. You know, He came after Christians. He was there when Stephen was stoned. He was right there consenting unto his death. He was part of it, and he got saved, and God used that in a mighty way. A powerful, uh, uh, influential man, and he got saved, and God used that in a mighty way. And he can still do that today, and I believe he will, if we who are saved are faithful. But again, we need to have compassion, enough compassion to, to be willing to save them from the fires of hell. And to do all we can to save them. I want to finish with a story I read about a woman in Texas. Her name is Estella Atkins. And she was driving to work one morning. And as she was driving to work she saw a car on the side of the road engulfed in flames. I mean just it was a fireball. Of course she was concerned. Now she thought oh my I mean here's this vehicle. And she pulled over. Then she realized as she was pulling over she knew whose car it was. It was her daughter's car. She was on her way to school. Her own daughter in a flaming, fiery inferno in that vehicle. And she pulled up there, and as people began to gather around her, she was going to go into that vehicle and pull out her own daughter from that burning wreckage, willing to risk the the flames herself being burnt so she could save her daughter from that. And there are people there trying to keep. No, you can't. It's too dangerous. If You go in there you're going you know you go in, you're going to get burned yourself, but she went in anyway. She said, "Whatever I have to do, I'm not going to let her go like this. That love, obviously her own daughter, her own flesh and blood, she would stop at nothing to get her out of that fiery inferno. She was going to risk her own life to make sure to see her daughter saved out of that wreckage. Do we have that kind of love and compassion for those out there in the lost? Those who are out there who are unsaved? To be willing to risk it all to see them saved? To be willing to face the persecution that might come with preaching the gospel? The Apostle Paul did. He had enough love and enough compassion on them and thought about them the way that Jesus did. That he was willing to suffer persecution for it. He he described those persecutions. He listed them. The beatings he endured. The threats against his life, many times he had to escape threats against his life. The imprisonment that he endured, being thrown into prison many, many times. Again, beaten, threatened, uh, ridiculed, all those things that he endured. He had it hard. Um, He had it harder after he was saved than before he was saved. It was more difficult, but he was willing to endure it. Why? Because his love for the lost, he wanted to see people saved. He wanted people to have what he had received. He recognized he had received the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. And he knew he didn't deserve it. He knew that he deserved to go to hell. And God, in his grace and his mercy, saved him. And by faith, he received that salvation. And he wanted to make sure that the whole world knew what he knew. He wanted to see the whole world have what he had. The Bible says, if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. So if we hide our gospel, we're hiding it from them out there who are lost. We're keeping it from them. We're keeping, we have received the greatest gift of all and we're hiding it, keeping it from those who need to hear it most. Yeah, I just want you to think about, you may not remember it, you might, the person who led you to the Lord. What if they did not have compassion on you? What if, They never shared with you the gospel. Where would you be right now? It's easy to think, especially if you've been saved for a number of years, it's easy to kind of forget that and to kind of get stale in your Christianity. We need to remember our salvation. We need to remember that day that we trusted Christ and the fact that someone had compassion, a church had compassion, an individual Christian had enough compassion to take the time to share the gospel so that you could be saved, so that I could be saved. Remember, think about that woman that I talked about and her, her zeal to see a person she loved, had compassion on, saved from a fire. Well, every single lost person is destined for fire unless we do something about it. We were visiting at a church over Christmas in Los Angeles, and the kids put on a Christmas program. One of the young men there, one of the pastor's sons, described it as the greatest story ever told. Only if it's told, though, and that's the thing it has to be told. We need to tell people. It is the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest gift. And what we possess is so precious, the gospel. We have it. We've received it. It's eternal. We'll never lose it that eternal life that we have, but we have to make sure that, that we can tell as many people as we possibly can that same message. And all we're doing is telling them, hey, I've been saved by God's grace. Jesus died, shed his blood for me, and if you receive that gift, if you believe that receive that, you'll have the same gift, eternal life. Yeah, a lot of people think it's stupid, no doubt. They think it's dumb. They think it's ridiculous. They think we're crazy but we still need to get out there and get that gospel message out. And it really begins just by going you know, one by one, knocking on doors, door to door, and then sending people out, sending missionaries. And you never know the number of people that are being reached through the missions program. It's so important um, to see missionaries going and reaching the world with the gospel and right here in this country as well. I love this country. I do. I love it. And I'm so burdened for it to see more churches in this country. We need stronger churches. We need more of them that are preaching the Bible, that are preaching the gospel, that are teaching the word of God correctly, and they're singing uh, the songs that honor God, and out there believing what the Bible says. Really, that's what we need. Because you know the Bible runs contrary to the teachings of the world. And we need to show that. We need to to, to proclaim that. Um, Again, our thought life is so important to God, what we think about. Because every good thing we do and bad thing we do, it all begins in the mind. It starts right here. Every action that we do begins in our mind. And we need to think about how we think about the lost. Do we think about the unsaved as Jesus did? having compassion on them, being moved by what you see. When you see a lost person and their life is a, is a mess, do we have compassion on them. Or do we think, well, I'm glad it's not me. When we see a lost person and they're, they're raging against God and, and cursing and blaspheming God and they're filled with anger and hate and, and, and they want to see God removed from society, do we look at them and think, well, I'm so sick of these people or do we think, Lord, please help me to have compassion on them, help me to pray for them. So again, we need to think about how we think about the lost and we need to have a mindset toward the multitudes that Jesus did because in that multitude, there are all kinds of people and that, and that large group of people, you had some, some, some decent people, some indecent people. You had those that, you know, said they loved God. You had those that just said, I hate God. I have no interest in God, no interest in the word of God. There are those there that, that were curious about Jesus. There are those that hated him. You, you had those that lived lives, moral lives. You had those that just lived as however they wanted to live. So within that multitude, you have a total mixture of people. But Jesus had compassion on them all the same. He loved them. He died for them. And let's make sure that we are thinking about them the way that he did.